Would you grab your Bibles now, a hard copy, or if you have it on a phone, join me in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we are continuing our look at what the future holds, and if you can tell where you are in your Bible, we're getting close to the end. And in fact, we are going to look at the end this morning, but it's the end before the new beginning. So the, it's not the end end, it's the end, because there is a new beginning coming. That'll be next week, Revelation 21 and 22. But the end that we're looking at this morning is the end of the millennium, that time where Christ came with his saints and set up an earthly reign on this planet. And at the end of that millennium, there will be a final battle, which will then lead into a final judgment before the new beginning. And so our goal this morning from Revelation 20 is to look at the final battle and the final judgment. And then next week, Revelation 21, 22. So let's look together at the final battle. And you'll see I'm using that word pretty loosely when I say battle. Revelation 20, pick it up in verse 7 with me. When the thousand years are completed, so our understanding, the millennium, the thousand year reign, when that's completed, Satan will be released from his prison. If you missed last week, we saw that when Christ returns to this planet and we with him, he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and he throws them alive into the lake of fire, but he takes Satan and he chains him and throws him into the abyss, closes it and seals it so that he cannot deceive the nations during that thousand year millennial reign. At the end of that, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to do what he does, deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. Now, that's not suggesting that the earth is flat. <laughs> it's suggesting that in this thousand-year period, because of what we understand to be some of the unique conditions of the earth and the world at that time because of Jesus reign over it, that there will be in that thousand year period just mass population explosion with people living hundreds and hundreds of years likely. And so they have filled the earth. They gather them together, those he deceives, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, which would be Jerusalem. So they converge from the four corners of the earth from around the globe to around Jerusalem, the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So... That's what I say is a final battle in the sense it's this final confrontation, but there is no battle. They gather, and as they are gathered, fire 
from heaven devours them. So here's what we've read about this final battle. It's a result because Satan, who has been in prison, is released to do what he is doing now, but will not be able to do during the millennium, and that is to deceive the nations. That those who had lived under the rulership, the kingship of Jesus and the saints are now deceived and they gather to go against the people of God. But fire devours fire from heaven. Then it says, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. Remember, they were thrown alive, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is, this is the nature of the lake of fire that is both hard to imagine and so unsettling. If you think of a lake of fire and someone being tossed into it, you would think that would lead to annihilation, that they would be consumed and be some horrible moments, but the fire would be so great, so consuming, that those horrible moments would pass and there would be over. And some people who maybe you've heard, they'll say, I I know I deserve hell, but it'll be quick and I'll be done. But that's not the way this scripture describes it. The scripture describes the lake of fire as a place of torment day and night forever and ever. Dramatically Dramatically different. Uh, hard, hard to imagine. You've had a burn. And long after your finger or your arm was away from the flame, it continued to burn. You continued to feel that. Uh, somehow, in, in this unique way, there will be uh, a fire that burns. It's described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth because the, the weeping of the torment, the suffering, the, the, the gnashing of teeth that there is no escape. That's what is described as a lake of fire. And that's important because of what we'll see about the, the final judgment. So Satan is released, he deceives, they gather, and he then is thrown into the lake of fire. Now you may wonder if if all of those who gathered against the saints were devoured by fire from heaven, why weren't the saints devoured by that fire? And you'll remember that we are here 
having returned with Christ in new bodies that are imperishable. And so uh, we will not be impacted by that fire, but that fire is, it would seem, so great that it seems, and I'll show you too in the scriptures, it seems that it's at this moment the entire earth is consumed by fire. Not just, uh, as you write that down, don't think after you know, you've driven down I-95 uh, or I-4 years back and there were torched woods on each side. Don't think that. Don't think California fires. Think fires that, a fire that literally consumes the earth so that it is, it is burned up. It is no more. This is what Peter writes about, 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. They'll pass away, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. See, not just scorched, that's tribulation-type burning. But at the end of the millennium, and I place it here, at the end of the millennium, we get a destruction of the earth and the heavens. Next chapter begins this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. You see what I'm saying? It's not an issue of maybe you've thought, well, in the millennium, the, the earth will be restored and it'll be restored to the point it'll become our new home forever and ever. No, it's, it is this earth is going to be I don't know what, how else to describe it other than vaporized. So completely consumed by a devouring fire that it exists no more. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Now, where are we at that time? I have no idea. I, I don't know. There's, in that moment, if you will, but again, we, we always see things through time as we understand it. Will it be devoured, new heaven, new earth, that quickly, and so we'll, we will not be vaporized and we'll go from one to the next? Maybe. You know, there's this question about what we're seeing, what's happening with us during this final judgment where it seems heaven and earth have passed away and we're not yet described the new heaven and the new earth. That's one of those mysteries. I don't think we'll be in limbo. I just don't know what to describe of what will be the case when we move from the one that has passed away to the new heaven and the new earth. So what is this final judgment that I'm describing? This is what finishes chapter 20. The final judgment is described like this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. So again, how do I describe this other than is the glory of God this consuming fire that the present heaven and earth cannot even endure? 
see how this is described there, that, that this is the presence of God that the current heaven and earth flee away from, no place found for them. And I saw the dead. We'll have to figure out the dead. Who are the dead that we're talking about here? I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their, their deeds, which were recorded in the plural, the books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book singular of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the final judgment. The final judgment is of those who it's described as the dead. Now, why are they dead? They're dead because they did not participate in the first resurrection. I'll go back in a moment and we'll look at the description of the first resurrection. Revelation 26 tells us about this first resurrection. And that first resurrection was those who were in Christ. They participated in the first resurrection. If you were not in Christ, and by the way, and not everybody would agree with me on this, I think all those who are in Christ refers not only to those who are in the church age, but all saints from even the Old Testament because salvation, don't think Old Testament salvation was by keeping the law. New Testament salvation is in trusting in Jesus. No, <laughs> they couldn't keep the law in the Old Testament. And it says of the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, it's always been by faith. And it's always been through what we see in time, standing between the two testaments, uh, the person and work of Jesus. But God sees all of that as he stands outside of time. So my understanding would be, all who, from the beginning, since Adam and Eve, till the time of the first resurrection, all who had lived by faith, not according to their works, that they participated in this first resurrection. If they were not part of that, they are still Dead, and therefore it is all who are still dead who are raised for this final judgment. The first resurrection referenced here. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. What we just read from Revelation 20, it referred to this is 
This is the judgment for the second death. The beauty, the gift, the grace of participating in the first resurrection is you're not present at this judgment because this judgment is for those who will be impacted by the second death. First resurrection, second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So that is prior to the millennium. This is the judgment. The text says, for those whose names are not in the book of life. Tried to make it clear. Sometimes it's just helpful to, to see what's written to see it. So if you can imagine this great white throne and before the great white throne, that this incredible glory, the glory of God in all his holiness and perfection. And there is before him a singular, singular book and then multiple books. And the process seems to be very, very clear. If we can imagine it, and again, I don't think we're in line waiting alphabetically. Okay, your turn. It's a long wait. Better to be Anderson than Root because, wow, she's the dread. <laughs> but the judgment begins with, is there a name here? And if the name's not here in the book of life, then we move to plural, the books. It's no wonder when Jesus sent the disciples out to do ministry first time, gave them authority, spiritual authority to heal and to have power, that they came back juiced. Wow, Jesus, that was amazing, incredible. We saw and experienced the power of God at work in us and through us. They had seen it through Jesus. They had seen it happen through others. But that incredible experience of being an instrument through which divine power was at work. And he, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Yes, divine power was at work. But then he follows. Maybe you'll remember this. He follows with this. But rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in this, that you will not be at the final judgment according to your deeds. Rejoice in this, that you have experienced the grace of God. Because it is, it is good to be an instrument through which God works. But the greatest gift is not being used by God. The greatest gift is being known by God. Greatest gift. Sometimes we get that backwards. 
And we begin to find our identity. Listen, if you've, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you can begin to find your identity in what you do for the Lord and not in that you are the Lord's, that you are, you're a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. Rejoice that your names are in the book of life. Because again, if we, if we can imagine it in our thinking, the way it's described, it's a horrible moment when the name is not here and we move from the book of life to the books. Because what's held here? It's our deeds. And... Where there is not a name in the book, then there is judged according to the books, which is a record of their deeds. Now, I'm, I'm imagining here, because I, I just had you write down what the text says. Uh, these books that record our deeds... Is it like you have, these are all yours? <laughs> that you'll be judged by and, and your, your deeds are categorized, oh, this is A through C. So this, go, this covers your arrogance to your coveting right here. <laughs> and, then, and then we move, you see what I'm saying? Is it that or, or is it, I'm imagining, is it the book of thou shalt have no other gods before me, the first commandment? And it's a book for all those who broke that law and your name is there. Let's move to idolatry. There too. Let's move to you know, profanity. There too. Parents don't even need to look. <clears throat> right? You see what I'm saying? But, but, and just imagining. But the, the point is, what do the books reveal? If it's a record of our deeds, what do the books reveal? It reveals how far short I have been from the glory of God, from the righteousness of God. The books reveal for all whose names aren't here, it reveals simply <clears throat> how guilty they are. Now, are some people more guilty than others? However you imagine, will some people have more books than others or will some people's names be in more books than others? Are some people more guilty than others? I didn't ask are all guilty. Are some people more guilty? Sure, sure, some people are more guilty. 
But that's not saying that because some people are more guilty that therefore those who are less, less guilty are not guilty. But that's the way we think. Less guilty makes me not guilty. I'm not, this is the way we say it, I'm not that bad. It's not like I've ever killed anyone. You think I'm joking. Just engage people about what they think about their behavior and you will get that. I'm not perfect and God knows I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I've never killed anybody. Look it up in the books. I'm not there. Done a lot of things, not that. And in the mind, and maybe you think about this for yourself, because I'm less guilty, I'm thinking that therefore I won't be treated as those who are more guilty. It's the whole idea. If a lion's chasing me, I don't have to be faster than the lion. I just have to be faster than the other guy who's running from it as well, right? I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be less guilty than you people. Now, I'm not describing the truth, I'm describing how we think. Don't get lost. I'm describing how we think But what the books will reveal is we are less guilty, more guilty, greatly guilty. We are guilty. Partly is because we don't see the the holiness of God for for what it is. We're just used to to thinking, well, if I, if I, take the rest of my Coke and dump it in the ocean, no big deal. Because a a drop of Coke in the ocean doesn't make a difference. But one sin in the ocean of God's holiness makes me what? Guilty. Really? You think, well, some people poured a six-pack in. No. It's either, it's not less guilty, more guilty, it's, I'm guilty. Now, let's be clear. Why are these people not guilty? (laughs) It's not because they have been better. Hey, my name would be in all the books. But the scripture says that that my debt consisting against me was taken out of the way having been nailed to the cross. Hey, it's fantastic to be used by the Lord, but rejoice in this. Your names are written in heaven. That Guilty, less guilty, more guilty. We all have our own (laughs) deeds. 
that if counted against us, this would be us. But what God has done is take that guilt, that punishment that is deserving of death, the the second death as it's described here, the second death, the death that, that God had said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this, you will die. But then he didn't die. I mean, not for a long, 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 long time. Because what he was saying was, not only will you die, but you will die a, a second death. The death guilty for your deeds. And this second death is not the end. This is what I was getting at earlier. The second death is not the end. It's the beginning. This is why this is so sobering. This is why when we, when we think about the reality of what the scripture says about hell and the lake of fire, we're not talking about annihilation. The false prophet, the antichrist, Satan, and all who will be judged according to their deeds, declared guilty and deserving of death, will experience a second death. But the second death is not the end. The second death is the new beginning of eternal torment. See, we, we think, ah, oh, to know Jesus is to live forever. But sometimes we forget that to not know Jesus is to not die, that is the end forever, but to be dying, suffering forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Pretty sobering. And, and not pleasant, really, to think about because this is not an idea. This is a reality for all real people whose names are, are not written in the book of life. And so you may be confident that yours is, or you may not be sure, but you may have a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a child, a best friend who it's just almost unbearable for you to think that your father or your mother or your best friend who has died. And as best as you know, his name was not in the book of life. That they will endure what Satan will endure. Eternal suffering, torment. It will be the beginning of a new, awful, never-ending reality. Which is what rises up in people to say this. How can a loving God do that? 
it's, see, for, and this isn't just a, a question, this isn't the question of the atheist, obviously. This isn't the, just the question of the person who could care less about God. This is the question that, that people in our body wrestle with. And it's not because you haven't read the verses. It's not because you've never probably never seen this before. You probably have. And you've heard this and you understand it. But it's the emotional response to that doesn't make sense. How could God do that? If God is love, how? I mean, punishment, this is over the top. Eternal torment? How can a loving God do that? So I want to at least give you what I think this scripture says to that. It may not satisfy you. But sometimes truth doesn't satisfy us emotionally. It doesn't make it any less true. So how can a loving God cast people into an eternal lake of fire? Because you may be tempted to think, he, when it comes down to it, he's, he's not going to. He's going to fold. Now, you don't think of God that way, but, but in the end, he's going to work it out somehow so that he doesn't have to do that to anybody because I just can't see him doing that. But it says he does, whether we can get there emotionally or not. How? Here's how. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, many deeds proving us guilty, Christ died for us. How can he do that? Because he gave his son to take the punishment for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. <laughs> we deserve it. We've earned it. There's no doubt about it. How could he do that? How could he do that? Because he has offered in his son a way of escape. If anyone sins, and oftentimes in scripture, if could be translated since, this would be a time where I think it would be more appropriate. And since everyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who never sinned, not a, a single drop in an ocean of holiness. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he satisfied the wrath of God because of sin. He took it upon in his righteousness. He paid for it. It wasn't his debt, it wasn't his guilt, but he took the punishment for it. And not for ours only, but also for those of the, the whole world. 
Christ has paid the penalty. He has taken the guilt. And he, the Father, will and can, in all of his love, cast those who reject Christ into a lake of fire because he has made a way of escape. Maybe that doesn't satisfy you. But imagine if there is condemnation declared and it's deserving and there is no way. He lovingly has. Lovingly has. Didn't have to. He lovingly has. We didn't deserve it. He lovingly sent his son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish second death. Not perish, annihilation, the end, but wouldn't endure eternal punishment, but have the opposite, eternal life. For by grace you've been saved through faith. What's the grace? God didn't need to make a way, but he lovingly has made a way. I didn't deserve it, but it's been given. And it's through faith that not of yourselves, it's a, it's a gift. He's not only made a way, watch now, he's not only made a way, he's offered it as a gift, in other words, God can, a loving God can and will send people to an everlasting fire. And I know some of you are going to say, no, Doug, he doesn't send them. They choose that. It still comes back to him. So I'm not trying to bail out with that. I'm saying he can because he made a way. And not only he made the way, he made that way obtainable. This is... This is important. Understand, it's not just a way, but it's not the contest that you can enter, but nobody's ever going to win. You ever seen those? You're like, oh, there's no point. You can win a million dollars. You do have to kick a field goal 300 yards. Uh, more personal, more real. Somebody you love dearly, maybe you, have cancer. And it's on the other side of a wall this high. A never-ending wall. And, and cures on this side. And you're on this side. It's, it's available. It's been found. You just have to be able to jump over the wall without touching any part of your body, without any step, any trampoline, you just have to leap over. It's right here. That's almost cruel. It's available but not obtainable? What has God done? He's not only said, I've made 
a way possible. I am flipping the wall around and offering, come and receive as a gift. How can God lovingly cast people into a lake of fire? Because he is an infinite grace made a way and then offered it as a gift. It's obtainable. See, three times Paul says, a man is not justified. In other words, he's not made right with God by the works of the law, by doing right, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified made right with God by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Why? Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be made right with God. If salvation is by keeping the law, it's not, it's not obtainable. It's a 300-yard field goal. How can I love in God? Because he has made a way. And then he's made it a gift to receive by faith. But we think so much law, law, do, works. It's what I do. It's what I do. It's how guilty I am. It, so my wife's driving back from South Carolina right now. She's on I-95. And she's probably speeding. So if you're listening, babe, slow it down. If a policeman pulls her over, which I'm hoping he isn't right now, and says, ma'am, you're going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. And she goes, oh, but officer, I used to go 30 miles an hour over the speed limit. <laughs> Does he go, oh, fantastic. You're getting better. Somehow we think that flies with God. I don't cuss like I used to. I don't do the things that I used to. Wouldn't fly with a policeman. Sir, how about, since I was going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, if I go 20 miles an hour under the speed limit the rest of the way back to Jacksonville? So it would just kind of make it up. Going under would make up for the going over. Does he put his pen away and go, wow, you're such a good person. <laughs> somehow we think, Lord, if I do good in the future, that is somehow going to absolve all the junk of my past. <laughs> it, it wouldn't fly with a policeman. But somehow you think that's going to fly with the Lord. That my good works in the future are going to somehow compensate for my bad works of the past. And I'm going to work out my own guilt. And what's he say three times? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You'll never be good enough. And even if you were good enough going forward, what about the past 58 years? It's only through faith. And faith is obtainable. 
If righteousness comes through the law, <laughs> Christ should have skipped the cross. See, that's, that's how, you need to hear this, that's how impossible it is for you to be good enough. It is so impossible. Christ is the only way. If it's obtainable, he simply says, says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He gives the gift to those who believe. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. He's just to forgive us our sins. It's, it's, he has to. Why? Why does he have to? Because Christ has paid the penalty. If I believe in Jesus, it would be unjust of God for me to believe in Jesus and then judge me according to the works because he has paid the penalty for them. And so he is just, he's righteous to forgive those who believe, those who confess their sin to him. How is it that a loving God would send people to an eternal damnation? Because he is just. He's not, he's be, it's more than he's being loving. It's more than he's being kind. It's, it's he's being just. In his justice, he forgives those who believe because of what Christ has accomplished. And equally just to condemn those who reject the love, the grace, and the gift. He who has the Son has the life. And he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Look, he who has the Son has life. He who is counting on his deeds, rejected the son, doesn't have life. Second death, first resurrection. Salvation is a gift that I simply want to offer to everyone listening right now. Here, north, one line. If you have never placed your belief in Jesus, and believing in Jesus means what? I've acknowledged my works will never be good enough. My being less guilty doesn't make me not guilty. I cannot believe in Jesus and think I don't deserve wrath. Believing in Jesus means I admit I do deserve wrath. And there's nothing that I can do to compensate for my guilt. Only he can. And I trust in him. 
not myself. So we don't often do this at the chapel, but I'm going to uh, often invite you in a moment of prayer. Tonight, uh, this morning, I want to say instead of just a moment of prayer, the band's going to lead us in a simple song of I Got Saved. I'm going to go to the back of the room, and some other elders staff will be there. If you would want to speak with someone regarding your guilt, your need for a savior. If we did it up here, uh, you'd be tempted to think we're trying to make a spectacle and you wouldn't be able to hear. <laughs> but meet me in the back of the room if you need the son. Because he who has the son has life. And he who doesn't have the son doesn't have life. It won't weird you out. We'll probably, if you'll come back, we'll take you out of the room and take you to a more quiet place where we can, if you have questions, you're not sure. I want you to have life and not the second death. Stand with me. If the Lord is knocking on your heart, I invite you to come back. getting up in front of somebody or going somewhere and talking to someone. But I had some real, uh, I could feel the Lord saying that I need him, that I need a savior, that I didn't have the son. And this, that son has life. He doesn't, does not. So I just say that to encourage you that um, in that moment of fear, I stood up, I went and talked, and it was the best thing I ever did. Um, got clarity, um, got saved. And I can say this, that God is a good God and is a just God. What you'll find when you approach him and when you call out to him is nothing but goodness. Cause I've received nothing but goodness. I've tested and tasted your grace. I was so lost till I fell at the cross. God saved. Oh, I got. 
Again, if you were you were wrestling there and maybe didn't didn't go and talk to someone, men and women are still available. We have our guest services. We have staff and elders available right now. Uh, don't leave without a question or talking to someone. Sometimes we we wonder about the assurance of our faith. Go talk to somebody. Uh, there's no better time than right now. And if the Lord has given you breath, then it's not too late. So would you go and do that? Uh, would you be praying that the Lord would bring more and more people into the family of God, that he would rescue more and more people, that they would cry out to him? Uh, let's do that together. All right, be blessed. See you next time.